Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about how to turn data into stories. Nigel was a Brit who loved language. He took pride in being well-spoken. So when Mandeep, his CEO, told him his first presentations to the board of directors hadn't been up to par, he was a bit stung. He'd had a flash of anger when Mandeep suggested he work with me. Then, in the very next instant, he saw the coaching as a gift. Nigel was the only senior staffer from outside the company. Everyone had been very generous with their help as he learned the culture. He was conscious of receiving many gifts. He told me he saw the coaching as one more. Prior to our first conversation, Nigel and I each spoke with Mandeep to hear his goals for Nigel's coaching. In my conversation with him, Mandeep was clear that he thought Nigel was a good presenter who needed to get better at two things, telling a better story and being more responsive in the moment. When Nigel and I compared notes, he had heard the same two goals, tell a better story, be more responsive in the moment. I asked him what he thought those goals really meant. He answered, that first one, that story one, that makes me shiver. I am no storyteller, Tom. I'm a data head. When someone asks me to tell a story, I tend to bore them with the facts. Just ask my wife. I asked, so where do you think you'll find the solution? In you, he laughed. <laughs> I laughed too. I considered a second and then said, do you like lists? Never met one I didn't, he said. I said, I have a list that might be helpful. I originally created it for a team. It was a list of questions, questions to ask yourself before you write your first bullet point. The list was to help team members tell stories their listeners would love. It might help here. How many questions on this list, he asked. I don't remember exactly, maybe 20. Some of the questions are just the facts, ma'am, kind of questions. You know, how much time do you have? Are you the only speaker? That sort of thing. But other questions are more demanding. For example, he asked, for example, why would they listen to this? I love that question. Answering that kind of question will help you tell a better story. He said, not in my case, I think. The reason they listen to me is because they have never seen numbers like this before. I laughed. Well, I'm glad if that's your story, Nigel. What a nice story to tell. If that's the case, why do you think Mandeep is saying you need to tell a better story? Ah, he said. True. I am boring them to tears with all my details. I said, well, then let's stick with that question, but with a twist. Why else would they listen? Besides all that good news, why else should they listen? He said, because without proper investment, those numbers are only going to last two years, three tops. That sounds important, I said. Have they heard that from you? Hmm, he said. Probably not as clearly as that. So I take it back. That question was revealing. Will you send me that list? Absolutely, I said. He asked, and if I answer all 20 questions, will I be a better storyteller? Maybe, I said. Mandeep will be the final arbiter, won't he? Then let's keep going, he said. What else can I try? I said, when I want to be sure I tell the best story I can, there's one question I always ask myself. I find it very helpful. I ask myself, what questions do I want them to be asking themselves about my material? 
Can't quite follow that, he said. <laughs> Sorry, I said. Okay, this starts with a premise. I presume people listen to me more closely when I talk about something they care about. And when people care about something, they want to know more about it. Questions pop up in their heads. That's natural. So I ask myself, what questions do I want them to be asking about the story I am telling? He asked, and what's the answer? I'd like to know, because I am not certain I want them asking any questions at all about what I'm telling them. Oh, here's my thinking, I said. I want them asking themselves the same questions I ask myself. So I might actually say something like this. You know, when I see a number that high, I am always glad to see it. And I have learned to ask myself this question. And then, you know, I tell them the question that I ask. Oh, he said, I like that. That's good. But wait, that takes me straight into the weeds, which is exactly where Mandeep does not want me. Well, I, I hope it doesn't, Nigel. That's not the intention. Try it. See if it does. While making a note, he said, what else have you got? I said, if you want to tell a better story, make us care. I held up two fingers, and I continued, saying, make us care by doing two things. First, give us a hero, someone to root for, and help us understand why we should be rooting for them. He asked, you don't mean an actual person, do you? No, I said, your hero could be that quarter's numbers, that customer contract, that milestone on a project, or the project itself. The hero is an outcome we can all root for. Listening intently, he gave a grunt and then said, you said there are two things. Yes, I said, first, the hero. Second, put the hero in jeopardy. When you read the data, is there some shadow on the horizon that makes you worry about the hero? Tell us about that shadow. And tell us what the hero needs to protect against the shadow. That shadow is the story. He said, I just flashed on a literature professor of mine. He was endlessly saying there's no story without conflict. That's what you're saying, right? People pay attention when storm clouds come. He seemed fired up. He went on, this is a weird connection, but you know what this reminds me of? What, I asked? Building puzzles. My sister and I used to build puzzles for each other. Did you ever do that? I said, I used to make board games, but I don't think it's the same. No, probably not. What's delicious about creating a puzzle is that you have to start with a crystal clear end in mind. What do you want the person to do? Answer a question, find an object, decode a message. You can't build a puzzle until you know the end. Then, and this was the part I loved, then I'd work backwards from the end to build the most convoluted path I could. But not too convoluted or you kill the fun. I was so intentional, placing every piece of information just so. You've put me in mind of how important it is to start at the end, then lay the stones correctly, or people lose interest. Well, I love that, Nigel, I said. That sounds like telling a better story. With a little scowl, he asked, well, Don't I become the voice of doom, then? Always with the warnings, always with the threats in the future? Well, I hope not, I said. I'm not suggesting you become the boy who cried wolf. I'm suggesting you tell us your thoughts about the data, not the data itself. He shook his head. Ugh, that's hard. 
I still want to explain the data to them, but I see that telling a story is better. So what about Mendeep's second goal, be more responsive in the moment? What about that? My conversation with Nigel about how to stay present while presenting is next month's episode of The Look and Sound of Leadership. I get to talk with a lot of people about turning data into stories. And there is something that I have observed over the years. By the way, I have observed that that list that I mentioned, that that has been helpful to people. It's a real thing. We've put it in the tool bin on the Essential Communications website. Please help yourself. But what I've observed over the years, as I've talked with business people about this idea of turning data into stories, I've observed that all of us are somewhere on a big, long continuum in relation to how each of us is wired for stories. There are some people who live on one end of the spectrum who talk story all the time. They talk in metaphor. They talk in imagery. They talk in pictures. They often do not feel that data is the most important part of the story. They often put data last. And I know that there are many people who listen to those folks and they wish, you know, those folks could move a little more towards the center of the continuum in terms of their relation to story. They wish they would tone it down a little. Then there are people on the other end of the spectrum, and these are the people that I coach often. I observe that they believe data is the story. They believe it is compelling. They believe that telling us the numbers that we see on the slides is interesting in and of itself. They believe that data speak for themselves. I know that there are many people who listen to those folks who wish those folks would move a little closer towards the center point of the continuum from their side. The point is we are all somewhere in our relationship with stories. No matter which side of the midline you're on, how can you move towards the center? How can you get better at turning data into stories? I hope you heard three tools in this episode. The list is one, go get it. The second one was about Think about the questions. Build a puzzle for your listeners. That's the second tool. And the third one was about hero and putting the hero in jeopardy, right? Those are three tools. I have one more. And I thought long and hard about recommending this because this is a tool I don't think I have ever endorsed on this show before. Ready? Work with a partner. That is another tool for helping you turn your data into stories. Now, I want to start by saying I think that working with a partner can be like pointing a loaded gun at yourself and putting the handle in someone else's hand. (laughs) By the way, I just talked in a metaphor. Can you guess which side of the spectrum I'm on? Uh, Yeah, okay. I'm going to explain why I think that working with a partner is dangerous or can be dangerous and how you might protect yourself against that, but I really want to begin with the fact that I do think it might be a very good idea in this case. And here's my idea. I want to begin by asking a really basic question. It's the question that's at the core of this entire episode. Why is turning data into stories important in the first place, right? I mean, why are we even paying attention to this? And I think the answer is because when you use a story, it makes whatever you're talking about more interesting. That's what stories do. Here are two ways that you can help yourself find what's interesting in this material. First, ask yourself, what about this topic is interesting to me? And you can communicate that. 
I hope you do ask yourself that. I hope you know what's interesting in your own material. And I hope there's something there because it is a big drag when the material doesn't even interest you, right? I mean, then, boy, it's hard. You just have to make something up. But there has to be something that interests you about this material. Answer that question. So that's the first thing you can do to help make your material interesting. The second one, what about the material is interesting to them? This is where I think a partner can be helpful. If you're presenting your ideas in a venue where you haven't had a lot of exposure, it might be hard for you to answer the question about what's interesting to them. In Nigel's case, you know, he knew all the board members individually, but he didn't really know what they found interesting as a board. He needed Mandeep to help him with that. The analogy I use here is like trying to see a mole on your back. You can do it, but it's not easy, and you're never 100% certain that you're really seeing what's really there. Having a partner is going to give you better results. This is the same situation. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting you rehearse with the partner. I'm suggesting you talk way earlier than that. Tell them the ideas that you think make your material interesting and see if that's what interests them. Listen to the questions they ask you. That's where their interests are going to lie, right? That's what you want to listen for. And whatever they ask about, see if you can build in more of that. See if you can build your story around that. What about this loaded gun thing? I do feel very strongly about this. I will tell you all about it right after this month's gratitude. This month in America here, we just celebrated a national day of giving thanks. My monthly gratitude on this show started as a once a year expression of gratitude to my team. Once a year, I thank them on the air. First, the editors who read every episode every month and give me great feedback, Nancy Brewer, Graham Burns, Tom Mannheim, Nancy Shanfeld, thank you. Thank you to my team of coaches and facilitators. I know many of you have met these people now. I think you understand why they're fantastic. You have met Michelle Calderici, Rachel Verlich, J.B. Adams, Sherry Bizeon, Jeremy Rowley, Sohee Jun, and Susan Smalley. Thank you to all of you. And finally, the team, the amazing team that created the new site. Laura Clark is our virtual assistant. Trent Farr is our marketer. Paul Eisen is our designer and has created a completely new experience for everyone. George Avellino manages all our systems with amazing calm and grace. Thank you, all of you. I'm lucky to have you. I end my gratitude as I do always, focused on you. I hope you know that one way I express my gratitude every day is by putting these free tools up in the website, in the resources tool bin. It's the Essential Communications website, essentialcom.com. It's essentialcom with two ms.com. Help yourself. That is my gratitude. And I am always grateful to those of you who take the time to post a review. Over the years, it has been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you, and I am so grateful. This month from here in the U.S., 310 Jen Ben wrote a great review, posted it. Thank you. Thanks to all of you. I feel lucky to have you. So why am I saying that working with a partner is like handing someone a loaded gun? Because in my experience, giving people feedback about their performance as a presenter all too often creates unintended consequences. Let me tell you a story and see if it makes my point. 
This is a story about a superstition in the professional theater world. I think many of you know that for many years I made my living as an actor in the theaters in Southern California. I had been performing in theater since I was a teenager. I learned that there are a lot of superstitions in the theater world. There are. And some of the superstitions make sense. One superstition was you do not, as an actor, ever comment on another actor's performance. Ever. Because no matter your intention, it's like giving a curse. And here's why. During a theater performance, actors experience a very weird heightened sense of reality. Both sides of the brain are engaged in a way that rarely happens in real life. One side of the actor's brain is immersed in the reality of the play that this other actress is her mom or that she's grieving an imaginary child. At the same time, the other side of the brain is recording every detail. What's happening in their periphery? They're listening to the audience. They're speaking on cue with the right words. It's a very weird dreamlike state, and it's fragile to maintain it. So let's imagine that with the best of intentions, I go to an actress in a play that I'm in, and I say, oh my gosh, you know, I just love the look you give her when you hand her that cup of tea. Can you hear it? I just cursed that moment. It wasn't my intention, but now that moment is pinned in that actress's mind. And it's inevitable that at some point, that actress is going to be given that look while she's handing over the cup of tea, and my comment's going to pop into her head, and that dreamlike state bursts because of my feedback. It was not my intention. I think every presenter in the business world is just like that actress. It is fragile to do what you do. Think about yourself presenting. You're trying to remember what you wanted to say. You're trying to remember what's coming up next. You're thinking about who's watching you and what do they think of you. It's intense, right? It takes effort to make it go well. So when someone gives you some random piece of feedback, it can have all sorts of unintended consequences. I'm not saying that when it comes to presentation skills, you should never give or get feedback. But I would say this, if you are the giver, think twice or more before letting the words come out of your mouth. You are holding a loaded gun. It has responsibility. If you're the receiver, (laughs) don't take it personally. You're hearing an opinion, not the truth. Let it go. But if you are going to receive feedback, You have something you can do. You can direct the feedback, especially around this tool of trying to turn your data into stories. I would suggest that you tell your partner. You have a goal. You are trying to make your work interesting to others. Communicate that goal clearly to your partner, and then in the conversation, keep the conversation on track. Take responsibility for making sure the conversation with your partner progresses towards the goal. Creating that kind of focus can help you protect yourself against all kind of wild shots that might go off at random. I want to return to the bigger topic, turning data into stories. I know that a lot of you like exploring the episode archive. I'm thrilled. Please go help yourself. Over the years, I've taken a lot of different approaches to this idea. The top five related episodes that you might listen to are Stories, The Ultimate Persuaders, 
what compelling speakers share, the power of rehearsal, making stories soar, and captivate your audience. They're all in the show notes. I hope they're helpful. If you're listening at the end of the year, stay tuned to hear my conversation with Susan Smalley about the skills of a great manager course. You are going to love Susan. All right, that's it for me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.